Welcome to the Fasting Well Podcast. Today I'll be talking about stages of fasting, five stages of fasting. And this is mainly relevant to prolonged fasting, because if you're just fasting for, say, 12 hours or 16 hours, you don't go very far into these stages, these five stages that I'm going to list. But certainly, even if you are just doing daily time-restricted eating, it's certainly interesting and also useful to to understand what some of these changes are. So I'm going to cover what happens in your body during a prolonged fast, during these various stages, about how long does it take, what are some of the key benefits, key health benefits that come along with it, and how can you smooth out the transitions between different stages? Because there are a couple spots where you could kind of get uh, run into some obstacles or roadblocks or kind of some snags um, along the way. And so if you understand how these transitions work between the stages, you can kind of smooth it out and make things a little easier. So I'll share some personal experience about that and some general kind of principles that could help you as well. And I think understanding this whole process definitely will stimulate motivation. I certainly find I'm always more motivated when I understand health benefits of fasting, especially if I understand what's really happening in my body and that sort of thing. And it'll help you be better prepared to deal with it. I know a lot of people are kind of intimidated by just by the idea of doing a prolonged fast. So this is one of those things that can kind of help get people over the hump mentally. Because a lot of times people are just like, oh no, I don't think I could do that. Just I'm not ready. Um, but if you kind of understand what's going to happen and, and how to kind of smooth out a couple of the transitions, then maybe you will be ready. So there's also a blog version that I've done on this topic, and it's, it's probably a little more in-depth than what this podcast is going to be. And it also has some really useful images or diagrams like graphs that show the timeline and things. So that's definitely worth checking out if you're trying to understand this a little bit better. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the main topic. So five stages. In a sense, there are six stages that I'm going to cover, but the first one is doesn't really count because it's eating. So that's stage zero. <laughs> so when you're eating food, that is stage zero because obviously you haven't started fasting at all. And so there's nothing happening in terms of the fasting. But that transitions nicely into the rest of the stages, which I'll list off here, and then I'll start going through each one and exploring the details a little bit. So the first one is fed. You're fed right after a meal, and then the food's in your body for a while, and then you're kind of running on glycogen and, and that sort of thing. This Stage two is going to be the transition stage, when you're kind of switching into fat-burning mode. And stage three is ketosis, or kind of fat metabolism. Stage four I'll call rejuvenation, and talk about a lot of those things that happen during a prolonged fast that are rejuvenating. <laughs> And stage five, I'll call rebuilding. So there, I know other people have have kind of given these stages slightly different names, even if they've done a somewhat similar description, but there's a lot of different ways you could break it down, but this is just how I decided to do it. Okay, so as I mentioned, stage zero is eating. So as soon as you're done eating, you get into stage one of fasting. And so that's the fed stage or the fed state sort of. (laughs) Um, So what is this stage? Well, this is basically when you're digesting your food, which takes a few hours, give or take. So, you know, obviously you're, you could say you're fasting even while you're just digesting your meal. But 
you're just running on energy from that meal. So you're not really into much of a fasted state at that point. And then after you're done digesting your food, assuming you ate some carbohydrates, which most people do most of the time, then you're going to have some stored sugar in your liver, which will sustain you for the next many hours. And that's called glycogen. So glycogen is chains of glucose. And one of the places that gets stored is in your liver. So as soon as you're done digesting your food, then you're kind of using that glycogen stored in your liver to, to drip it out a little bit at a time to keep your, your glucose level up or, you know, keep it kind of stable in your bloodstream. And so the liver glycogen lasts maybe about 12 to 24 hours, but it depends a lot on your activity level and what kind of food you ate before, before you started fasting. So if you ate some carbohydrates, then you, if you ate pasta, let's say, <laughs> then you'll have plenty of glycogen, you'll be full, your liver will be full of glycogen, and that will last probably closer to 24 hours, unless you start exercising somewhere along the way, because then you use it up more quickly if you exercise. So that is stage one. So of course, if you're just doing daily time-restricted eating, something along those lines, which is often called intermittent fasting where you might fast 12 hours or 16 hours or even up to about 20 hours, you could spend your whole time in stage one, which I just described, the fed stage. You might spend your whole time in that stage, or you might get into stage two a little bit. So stage two is called the transition stage, or just transition. And by the way, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but you could kind of think of Imagine yourself doing a five-day fast, and we have these five stages. It's not a perfect match, but you could kind of think of it as the five days are the five stages. And so it's not a perfect match because the timeline will be a little bit different than the five days, but it's kind of close, and so it might be an easy way to kind of remember a really rough version of the timeline and the stages, if you just think of the five days and the five stages. So the first day could be the fed stage. And then on around the second day and getting into the third day is this stage two, so the transition. And what do I mean when I say transition? Well, you're transitioning from sugar metabolism to fat metabolism. So instead of mainly running on sugar or glucose, which comes from carbohydrates, then you're going to be mainly running on fat and ketones. But you can't flip that switch instantaneously. You can't just make that change right away. It takes some time for the fat and the ketones to ramp up and for the blood sugar and the insulin to drop down. And so that's the transition. And on the blog, I've got some images that show that transition really clearly on a graph. So again, if you want to check that out, I'll put a link in the episode description where you can easily find that. So during that transition, what do you need to know about? Well, if you're one of those people that's trying to improve your blood sugar or insulin level, this is one of those times when it's dropping, 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 and that's a good thing because most people have blood sugar, you know, people with prediabetes or diabetes, then their blood sugar is too high. Um, so you want it to kind of come down to normal. And if you have type 2 diabetes or prediabetes, then your insulin is also too high. And so you want to give that some time to come down to normal. So that's one of those things. Now, the transition is the part of a prolonged fast that it would be likely to be the most difficult because you're transitioning into that fat metabolism, but it takes some time. 
And while that's happening, you may have a bit of a, a lull in your energy because you haven't fully ramped up the fat, fatty acids and the ketones, which are going to be your main energy source. So because you could have a lull in energy there, that's where people often get frustrated and give up or just where it's a little more difficult to get through. And so that's why it's worth knowing about a couple things that can kind of smooth out the transition. And the main two things I would mention there are a ketogenic diet or training wheels. So at that point where your blood sugar is kind of getting lower, but your ketones haven't really gotten that high yet, you could use training wheels, which I talked about in an earlier episode. I think it was episode 13 about dirty fasting. So I I go into a lot of examples, et cetera, there. But some of the things that I've used myself to kind of smooth out that transition are where I'll have a little bit of, say, chia seeds soaked in water, like a tablespoon of dry chia seeds soaked in some water, or half an avocado, or a little handful of nuts, or a few pumpkin seeds, or some olives, and the list kind of goes on. The point is you want something that's low in carbohydrates, or at least pretty low in carbohydrates, and pretty low in total energy. Like you don't want to be eating a bunch of food, obviously, but just a small enough amount that it can kind of smooth out that transition. So that's where training wheels are the most useful, is on like that second or third day when you're in the transition stage. And then the thing about the ketogenic diet is it it kind of makes that whole transition quicker and simpler and easier because your ketones will already be high even when you start your fast. They won't be as high as they're going to get later during your fast, during your prolonged fast, but they'll be kind of high. And so it, it doesn't take nearly as long for them to ramp up to the fasting level of ketones. So if you're on a ketogenic diet, or in other words, you're in nutritional ketosis, you already have ketones in your bloodstream due to the food you're eating, then it's a it's a quicker transition into like a full-blown fasted state. So that's the transition stage. So the stages so far, again, zero is eating, one is fed when you're digesting food and using liver glycogen, and number two is you're transitioning into fat metabolism and using fat and ketones for energy. Now let's get into stage three. So stage three is ketosis, or fat metabolism, or fat burning, or a few things that, that kind of mean the same thing that you could kind of use to describe this stage. So st- stage three might start on day three, but maybe day four, um, give or take. Um, yeah, day three, that, I mean, day three is a pretty reasonable estimate, I guess. So we could just stick with our five days, five stages kind of uh, <laughs> mindset there. But give or take, day three, give or take a little bit, depending on the other variables that are going on. So this is where, at this point, you've reached that high level of fatty acids and ketones in your bloodstream. So you've got a lot of that stuff, and you're ready to use it as your main energy source. Your insulin level is very low, which is one of the things that allows the fat to be released from your fat cells. So the fatty acids come out of the fat cells into your bloodstream. They're released because the insulin is low, and then you have a ton of that stuff available for energy. Some of it goes to your liver and gets turned into ketones, and that's an important energy source, especially for your brain. 
So your brain that won't need as much glucose or sugar anymore because it has the ketones available. So your ketones will be quite high at this stage. If you were to measure them, they'll probably be quite high. So when I've gotten into this stage, you know, after, say, I'm on day three or day four of a long fast, then if I use one of those urine test strips for ketones, it'll probably turn dark purple, which is like the highest measurement. And when I've used a breath measurement, um, it's often unmeasurable. It's high enough that the, the breath meter can't even measure it. So it just gives whatever the highest number is that it can possibly give or greater than whatever. So it's like off the charts. So the ketones get very high. Um, another thing that happens around this time is now hunger is pretty much under control. So remember I said the transition stage, you could have some of those speed bumps or snags, some challenges because you're kind of switching from sugar metabolism to fat metabolism. And so while you're switching, you could have a bit of a lull at some point in your energy or your focus or whatever, and you might also feel kind of hungry. But once you get into stage three, the ketosis, the fat metabolism, hunger is pretty much an afterthought. At least that's my personal experience, and, and there's some good reasons why that would be the case. One of those is that if your ketones are very high, ketones kind of help suppress your appetite. Insulin is very low, so you won't have as many cravings because insulin kind of causes cravings. And then this hunger hormone called ghrelin actually kind of gets lower and lower and lower the more the longer you go with your prolonged fast. Now, it's not just a steady drop necessarily, but the overall level of ghrelin will be lower the further you get into your fast. So that's stage three, and as I alluded to already, that's when you kind of maximize fat burning. You get to that maximal level of we're using tons of fat because it's our main energy source and we're turning some of it into ketones. So this, this is kind of where you, where you recognize that fasting is probably the best way to burn body fat because you get to this very high level of burning body fat once you get that far into an extended fast. Okay, so let's move on to the next stage. So this next stage, stage four, I'll call rejuvenation. And that sounds pretty good, right? Rejuvenation, I want some of that. Um, But it's rejuvenation because there are multiple things now that are going to be happening, which are really beneficial and, and kind of interesting, fun benefits of fasting in which your body is kind of rejuvenating. So one of those is called autophagy. And by the way, so rejuvenation, we said like a rough outline of things is, you know, day four, stage four. Um, So yeah, this is arguably, you could say this stage is kind of day four is a pretty good time to think about this stage, but it's not exact. Like some of the things I'm talking about start before day four. Um, So it's, it's just kind of a rough outline or a rough timeline. I mean, if you say that this is day four. Um, So autophagy. Autophagy is when your body starts using some of the worn out or older proteins and things like that. And so it's kind of scavenging for different structures to break down and recycle. And so that happens largely inside your cells, so a very microscopic level. So inside the cells, you're breaking down like organelles and things like that, the stuff that's inside of the actual cells. Um, And getting some protein and reusing it and getting some other stuff and reusing it And so autophagy kind of ramps up maybe between 24 and 36 hours and kind of gets close to its peak level at about 72 hours. 
So by day four, you're well into autophagy. So autophagy has a variety of benefits because it kind of helps your organs regenerate to an extent or just kind of heal to an extent. So for example, it can be helpful for your brain because one of the things that happens with Alzheimer's disease is a buildup of protein in the brain. And so autophagy could, to some extent, help remove some of those protein deposits and things like that. That's one example. So another example of rejuvenation is when your immune system kind of gets reset. Uh, Sometimes they call it resetting the immune system, but it gets broken down and rebuilt to an extent. Um, So, and that's after, you know, at least a few days. So say we're on day four, day five, that sort of thing. To some extent, you're going to kind of break down your white blood cells, which is your immune system. And you're going to ramp up the stem cells in your bone marrow. And then you're going to be kind of getting ready to rebuild the immune system when you break your fast. And so that's one of those ways that your your body kind of says, hey, we, we're not using this stuff as much and we kind of need to recycle some of the stuff in the body to kind of keep everything running properly. So we're going to break this down. And so it does that with your immune system, which ultimately means that that prolonged fasting can help with autoimmune diseases like Crohn's disease or multiple sclerosis. Those have been studied specifically and probably with other autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis and various others like lupus, etc. And so people often see improvement in those types of symptoms after a prolonged fast. Now, in addition to kind of breaking down the immune system and, and kind of rebuilding that, some other organs... Um, probably are shrinking and then getting rebuilt to an extent as well. And so I think this has been studied more in animals, because it's a lot easier to do in animals, but um, probably happens in humans to an extent as well. And I have um, some references and a video and stuff on the blog post that kind of go into that in a little more detail. But kind of interesting to think that, say, your liver, for example, could be shrinking down and then getting rebuilt, which sounds like a great thing if you're one of those people with fatty liver disease or any other liver-related problems. So another type of rejuvenation, I mentioned the brain already, that you know the autophagy probably helps in the brain because it's happening in the brain and, uh, and elsewhere. But also when your brain switches over to mainly using ketones as the main energy source, then when, when this happens to me, I, can, I find that I can focus really well and I feel almost euphoric. So just like a more positive mood than usual and, and just really good feelings. But in a way, that's probably like a rejuvenation for the brain too, just because it can take a break from using sugar all the time. Because if, uh, if you listen to my podcast about Alzheimer's, in there I mentioned that Alzheimer's is sometimes called type 3 diabetes, and that's because one of the main causes of Alzheimer's is insulin resistance, or in other words, the brain's not able to use glucose as effectively as it did before. So if you can just completely take a break from running on glucose, or at least mostly, because now ketones are the main energy source in the brain, then that's probably a really positive thing for the brain to just get a nice long break from all that glucose. And it's going to help with the insulin resistance. And so going to help prevent Alzheimer's and have other brain-related benefits. Of course, the brain just tends to function better when it has ketones available after an injury or, you know, with dementia, which is another word for Alzheimer's, and in other situations as well, like seizures. You know, ketones are one of the 
if you have seizures and none of the medications work, then you go on a ketogenic diet and maybe that'll get rid of your seizures. So the brain just seems to work better when there are ketones around. So if you have several days where you're mainly running on ketones, that almost couldn't be a bad thing for the brain. Seems very positive for the brain. So that was stage four, rejuvenation. So, so far we've done the fed, fed stage, which is number one. Number two is transitioning into the fat metabolism. Number three is the fat metabolism or ketosis or fat burning, when that kind of maximizes the um, sort of fat metabolism that's going on. And then stage four, rejuvenation with the autophagy and resetting your immune system and some of these other positive effects for your brain and other organs. So stage five, I'll call rebuilding. And that's because this is when you end your fast and you kind of rebuild some of those things that had been broken down. And we're going to rebuild them, but make them better than before. So that's the idea. So rebuilding. So of course, during your fast, you're kind of recycling a lot of old things and breaking them down and stuff to kind of make sure you have enough protein available, etc., because you're not taking any protein into your body. But then, of course, after your fasts, you want to make sure you're getting a good amount of protein, doing some strength training, etc., to make sure you can rebuild anything that may have been broken down. And after a few days of fasting, your body ramps up the level of growth hormone, at least generally speaking. This could vary a little bit from person to person. But generally speaking, there's an increase in growth hormone with, during an extended fast. And so when you end your fast and you get into the rebuilding stage, you're going to have an easier time kind of rebuilding your various organs, including muscles. If, if you had a slight shrinkage of the muscles during the fast, then you could certainly rebuild that and other organs as well. Be it the immune system from those stem cells that I mentioned or other organs, like I talked about the liver, hypothetically kind of shrinking and then rebuilding and that sort of thing. So speaking of muscles, so muscles certainly are a a source of protein that your body could tap into during a fast at various stages, but there are various reasons why you don't just rely on your muscles for energy during a fast or for protein. And one of those is that when your ketones get high, then that kind of protects your muscles. It tells your body not to use muscle protein, not to break down your muscles. So once you get to that high, high level of ketones, then that's one of the benefits that comes with it. Also, as long as you keep using your muscles, you know, do just a little bit of, call it strength training or even just normal activities in some cases, um, then your muscles will get the message, hey, we, we need to keep building up rather than breaking down. Um, because you, resistance training can still cause um, muscle protein synthesis even during a prolonged fast but obviously not as much as if you're consuming lots of protein. So once you get to this rebuilding stage, that's where you want to make sure you're getting plenty of protein, using your muscles, and making sure you can maintain all of your strength. But those are uh, the ketones and the using the muscles, along with the growth hormone that I already mentioned, are some of the reasons why you're pretty well able to conserve muscle during a prolonged fast, if you're doing it right, (laughs) and pretty well able to Um, regain anything that you may have lost as well. So those are the five stages of fasting. So maybe about five days, five stages, and then obviously if you go past five days, you're just kind of continuing further with the ketosis and fat metabolism that continues throughout, you know, a prolonged fast, assuming you still have body fat stores, 
Um, so if you were to kind of run out, so to speak, of body fat because you're too thin or whatever, or too lean, then it's harder to s- sustain that prolonged fast, which is one of the reasons why um, it doesn't make sense to do a lot of extended fasting if you're already pretty lean, because then you can't keep up that fat metabolism and that high level of ketosis because you ain't got the body fat to do it. So, um, so but assuming you have enough body fat, then you can just stay in that stage three and beyond. So you can also get those rejuvenating effects of stage four and eventually the rebuilding when you end it. So if you haven't already, go ahead and check out the blog version of this topic because it has some helpful images, diagrams, graphs, that sort of thing that'll probably make the, help this to make more sense. So even if you just go over and look at the, at the images, like the designs, then that would probably be really useful. Or you can read through some of it, and there's a couple of videos there that I link to that are useful as well. If you found this useful, if you found this episode beneficial, then why don't you go ahead and leave a five-star review on whatever platform that you're using, you know, if you thought it was good enough to do that. Then please take the 30 seconds or one minute that it takes to do that, because it definitely will help this podcast grow and reach other people so that more people can learn about the benefits of fasting and get some of those benefits in their life and start improving their health. I've mentioned this several times before, but if you haven't already done it, I have an intermittent fasting checklist that can help you get a smooth start and kind of cover all your bases when you start intermittent fasting. And you can get that at my website, fastingwell.com slash checklist. Another relevant um, checklist or cheat sheet, actually, that you could get um, related to this episode would be the Dirty Fasting Cheat Sheet. And that kind of helps you understand more about training wheels, and and also electrolytes, which I didn't get into during this episode, but that's very relevant for extended fasting. So you can learn more about that and get some specific tips on the Dirty Fasting Cheat Sheet, which is at fastingwell.com slash dirty. I'll put links to that stuff in the description as well, so you can just click on it if you prefer. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. If you liked it, please share it. In addition to leaving the review, as I mentioned, share it with at least one other person who could also benefit. And Appreciate you being here. I'll see you next time on the Fasting Well podcast. The Fasting Well podcast is not medical advice and does not replace the need to consult with your own medical providers.